Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. This week the Bookshelf Cinema is screening The Lady in the Van. Mustang, Hail Caesar, The Big Short, and more. At the E-Bar on Tuesday, March 8th, Vacamas Press launches Mary Leslie's new book, The Cromaboo Mail Carrier, and on Friday, March 11th, see Radio Radio and Willa. The Bookshelf is an independently owned cultural hub located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph, Ontario, which is a fine, fine city located an hour west of Toronto, right off of Highway 401. So if you're on the road, consider stopping by Guelph. It's a lovely place. For more information about the bookshelf's hours, listings, blogs, directions, and accessibility, please visit bookshelf.ca. The next edition of Long Winter takes place at the Great Hall in Toronto on both Friday, March 18th and Saturday, March 19th. On March 18th, see live music by Marvelous Mark, Triple Gangers, Bridget Bardon'ts, Infinite Poolside, Baby Cages, Zoo Owl, Prince Innocence, Whoop Zoo, Isaac Valentine, The Queer Songbook Orchestra, Rachel Cardiello, Avant Cool, La Timba, Molo, Sitaracon by The Holy Gasp, and Ken Murphy. Also on March 18th in the Black Box at 9pm, a live taping of a Creative Control with Vish Khanna episode, featuring a panel discussion about the Toronto Blue Jays with Stacey May Fowles, Drew Fairservice, Desmond Cole, and Josh Sucker of Fucked Up. On March 19th, see live music by Cousins, Joyful Talk, Juge, Trio, JFM, Mystic Triangle, Shy Wisdom, Witch Prophet, Long Branch, Dorothea Paz, Top Forte, Spoken Symphonies, DJ Adam T, and Thin Edge Collective Workers Union by Louis Andresen, plus CCMC, Phrase Velocity, and CRL, as curated by the Music Gallery. Also on March 19th, another episode of the Long Winter Talk Show, Long Night with Vish Khanna, with special guests Jay Ferguson and Patrick Pentland of Sloan, a cooking demo with Zane Kaplansky, filmmaker Caitlin Durlach, and and music by So Long Set Plus, art, performance, dance, and readings, The Long Winter Arcade, and the Toronto International Film Festival's presentation of the next New Wave Festival. This edition of Long Winter is an all-ages event that takes place on Friday, March 18th, and Saturday, March 19th, both at 7 p.m., and each evening costs $10 admission. The Great Hall is not an accessible venue yet and is located at 1087 Queen Street West. For more information about advanced tickets and other things, please visit torontolongwinter.com. Welcome back to Long Night, folks. You're a hot crowd. Let me say that right away. You're a hot Hot crowd. Sir Richard Bishop, Ben Chastney, and Chris Corsano are Rangda. Their new album is The Heretic's Bargain. It's out now via Drag City, and they're on the road as we speak, including a show in Toronto at Double Double Land on March 8th. Visit dragcity.com for more details about Rangda. This episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero, the finest pizzeria in all of Guelph, Ontario. 
They've got delicious gourmet pizzas or choose from an array of fresh ingredients and make whatever you like. Calzones, wings, panzerottis, salads, breadsticks, garlic bread. Pizza Trocadero has it all. You can find them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph or visit them online at trocaderoguelph.ca. That's T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. Call them at 519-829-2444 for pickup or delivery. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Massey Hall and Roy Thompson Hall proudly present three huge events in Toronto over the next two months. An intimate evening with Jonathan Goldstein takes place at the Winter Garden Theatre on Tuesday, March 29th at 8 p.m. April Fool's, an evening of comedy at Massey Hall, hosted by Gilbert Gottfried, with headliner Nikki Payne, takes place at Massey Hall on Friday, April 1st at 8 p.m. And, of course, Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Hey, that's me. That's this show. We're doing a live taping with the Minotaurs and an interview with uh, that band's Nathan Lore, as well as a conversation with CBC Radio's Pia Chattopadhyay. That's happening at the Drake Underground on Saturday, April 9th at 8 p.m. For more details about physical accessibility and to purchase tickets to any of these events, please visit RoyThompson.com or MasseyHall.com. The following is a special documentary episode of Creative Control with Vish Khanna. album by the influential American instrumental band Tortoise is called The Catastrophist, which, as I'm speaking to you, might trigger thoughts for some about U.S. presidential hopeful slash arch-villain Donald Trump. (laughs) I don't believe the album is named after Donald Trump, no. That's Doug McCombs, one of the Chicago-based band's five instrumentalists. The other members are Dan Bitney, John Herndon, Jeff Parker, and John McIntyre. McCombs has his own theories about the album's title. I think The Catastrophist is uh, more of a general state of being. It's like all of us and everyone combined. The state of the world. McIntyre concurs. (laughs) I couldn't elaborate on it too much more. I mean, I think that's correct. We're living in a state of constant fear and every every single thing that seems to be a problem gets blown out of proportion into something totally unthinkable. There's actually a rich tradition of tortoise creating thought-provoking imagery and artwork for albums with vivid titles like Millions Now Living Will Never Die, TNT, Standards, It's All Around You, Beacons of Ancestorship, and now The Catastrophist. Being an instrumental band, we have a challenge to engage people on a level that's somewhat unusual. So in that sense, we're uh, forced to find ways to do that and not repeat ourselves in doing so. And this involves a lot of work, actually. So yeah, that's part of it for sure. Over the past 20 years, Tortoise has invented a much emulated rhythmic sensibility and explored the far reaches of synthesized tones and distorted noise, fueled itself by an abiding interest in abstract concepts like jazz, dub, krautrock, hip-hop, electronica, and instrumental rock. In a sense, whatever the aesthetic conflation really is when tortoises begin to play together, it's always present, but there's generally a certain mystery to it. For fans of the band, every new tortoise record feels like some exciting departure. But there are things, both obvious and subtle, about the catastrophist their seventh full-length album released by Thrill Jockey Records and out now that will genuinely startle listeners who appreciate the storied quintet's daring. The most obvious example? Vocals. Aside from one-off collaborations or live appearances with people like Bonnie Prince Billy, Tom Zay, Daniel Lanois, and Buck 65, among others, Tortoise had not released a record of their own that featured a singer until now. 
The Catastrophist features a cover of David Essex's weird 70s hit Rock On, sung by U.S. Maple's Todd Rittman, and a melancholy original song called Yonder Blue with fresh lyrics and vocals by Yola Tango's Georgia Hubley. We've certainly known Doug McCombs for, wow, a long time. (laughs) Probably going back to the late 80s, early 90s. I'm sad. You know, after a while, you start, they all start to blend together, all the decades. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we've known We've known John for for at least almost as long. I, I mean, we've known Doug longer from when he played with the 11th Dream Day. He still does. But we've known those guys forever. So the relationship goes way, way back. We toured with John when he played in the band Scene. So we met him in the early 90s, I guess. And Doug we knew from before that. We'll hear more about what it was like singing on a tortoise record from Georgia and Todd Rittman a bit later. But it's useful to map the trip between The Catastrophist and the band's previous LP, 2009's Beacons of Ancestorship. Tortoise generally tours the world rather extensively after a new record comes out. But according to McIntyre, the Beacons of Ancestorship trek was particularly unique and long. Well, to be honest, we were actually quite busy touring that record for a long time. I would say years, maybe three or four years. Yeah. In fact, sporadically doing festivals and whatnot or a week or two here and there. Um, We did the movie soundtrack in like 2011, maybe. I think so. Somewhere around there. Dan and Jeff both had children. So there was a lot. Oh, I moved my studio. There was a lot of just like, you know, life happening. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think if we don't play your city, insert name of city here. If we don't play your city for a couple years, it's it might seem like we disappear, but actually we're always kind of on the verge of doing something. And there's always a few things going on throughout any given year for us, even if it's just uh, playing a few festivals, like John said, or or just doing a, a couple of uh, shortish tours or whatever we're always doing something and then we were starting to work on a new album which always takes a long time yeah that took about well i mean we started it in the fall of 2013 and we got it mixed and mastered last summer so mcintyre said something about a movie soundtrack there that piqued my curiosity as a fan of the band i try to keep up with what they're up to but given how prolific and busy they are it can be difficult to stay in the loop For instance, I hadn't heard of a 2011 horror film called Lovely Molly. Most people will know Ed Sanchez as the director of the Blair Witch Project, but he's had a very successful career beyond that. And the film that we worked on was called Lovely Molly. Another horror film, of course. It was super fun, it was great, yeah. They had already laid in a bunch of temp music for it that they liked, and there were, it was actually only three things that they kind of repeated in different scenes. And they wanted us to, look, to adhere pretty strictly to what they had laid out, and also the, the, the feel and or the content of the temp music, which was fine. You know, it's kind of painting by numbers a little bit, but it was fine. So, yeah. So we had a rough cut, and we just basically tried to come up with stuff that would fit with every scene and uh, just send it back and get comments and keep going. What if she becomes dangerous? Lovely Molly tells the story of a newlywed couple played by Gretchen Lodge and Johnny Lewis who are menaced by a supernatural presence after they move into the wife's long-abandoned childhood home. Whatever. The film looks scary. Who's there? I just want you to know. He's right behind you! He's right fucking behind you! It was a really good creative exercise for Tortoise as a band because we tend to work 
fairly slowly on producing music and um so to get you know to get immediate feedback from the director like say the next day after you work on a piece of music and have his input and have his suggestions about you know what was working and what wasn't working was really helpful like we could you know we probably worked on it for less than 10 days or something yeah, right and, yeah. and and it it was a thing that you know sort of pushed us to be more expedient about our writing process for sure and the thing was cool is that they knew exactly what they wanted so like as soon as we sent something in we got back their comments they weren't wishy-washy about it like they were they would be like nope that's not working go another direction or this is cool bring this element up you know stuff like that so yeah it was really good now given how fulfilling and instructive scoring lovely molly was for tortoise I wondered if the experience informed their working methods on the catastrophist. You would think so. <laughs> but no. <laughs> no. It still took us it still took us three years to make a record. Maybe if uh, Eduardo Sanchez had been sitting in the room with us the whole time we were making the catastrophist, maybe that would have Oh, that would have been something. That would have helped. <laughs> That's an interesting aspect of Tortoise. They've never worked with a producer on one of their own records. For the most part, they've always directed themselves and pushed their own ideas forward into the world. Having said that, the catastrophist was actually sort of initiated by an unlikely external source, the city of Chicago. Well, they asked us to uh, write some music specifically for a concert uh, that we would do at Millennium Park uh, in downtown Chicago, and this was like in 2010. And the concept was to uh, have five guest musicians, local musicians uh, from the jazz and improvised scene to perform with us. So the pieces we wrote were fairly open-ended and allowed for a lot of improvisation and whatnot. So th yeah, those were kind of the kernels for five of the tracks that ended up on the record. But they did, we weren't intending them to be the genesis of the record per se they just uh it kind of just happened that way because we had the material and we could work on it the concept for this concert was to include these musicians in our in our performance so we weren't really paying tribute to anyone we just invited some local musicians from the jazz community to to perform the music with us the musicians in question were nicole mitchell Jim Baker, Fred Lonberg-Holm, Greg Ward, and Ernest Dawkins, some of whom represent the area's noted jazz and improvised music communities. Of course, Chicago has a long and interesting musical history. Some of the most significant impresarios, producers, labels, record store owners, audio engineers, concert promoters, and musicians have all contributed to a fabric in the city that makes it an original destination for innovative and much-emulated blues, rock and roll, punk, post-punk, industrial, electronic and house music, indie rock, hip-hop, and much more. In some ways, and at some points, it feels as though everything in Chicago's rich history has found its way into the aesthetic of Tortoise. Well, I mean, it's inspiring to be in a place with a history like that and a place where people, musicians continue to flourish in that way and it's a very creative environment so in that way I mean it's it's mostly inspiring I personally don't aspire to that particular form of playing I mean I, I guess there's jazz music in some of what we do a little bit and it informs some of the things we do I am not really an improvising musician but other members of Tortoise are and so you know it, it affects us I think the jazz community in Chicago and the, the lineage of that stuff um, affects all five of us in slightly different ways. Um, some of the other guys in Tortoise are actually active in that jazz community. So it's just uh, it's kind of part of the fabric of what we all do. Yeah, it really is part of the fabric here. And the, the spirit of collaboration has always been really strong. And I think more so maybe than some in, in other cities. The fact that we've always had this this kind of uh, cross pollination, not only 
in the city itself, but especially within our band. Um, and, you know, the fact that we had Jeff start playing with us, you know, kind of pretty early on speaks volumes to that. And because uh, he's brought a really unique voice to what we do. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's been really amazing to have that that aspect in our sound. So after scoring Lovely Molly and accepting the city of Chicago's commission to perform this new work that we were just talking about, Tortoise had to contemplate their next move. I feel like we always get to this point where we're, (laughs) for one reason or another, we're like, oh, we should start recording. It's not like anything that's planned out, uh, but I think we all kind of get there at the same time one way or another uh so i guess that's what happened and uh yeah well like i said you know we had those pieces from the commission in cold storage so they were like oh you know that's that's the obvious jumping off point to do to try to turn those into something and then we realized that they were going to need kind of a lot of work to actually turn them into actual tortoise songs Nobody's really shy about saying, you know, here's what I think about this song and here's what I think we should do with it. And I mean, we all trust each other's opinions and and are sympathetic to each other's styles of playing and stuff in a way that we can say like, oh, even if someone doesn't really agree with a direction a song is going, you can sort of suggest to them like, oh, it would be great if, like, I know you're really good at this particular thing. Why don't you try that? You know, just, I mean, it's it's that's it's just kind of like throwing ideas back and forth. And sometimes if something doesn't seem like it's working, we just put it away for a while. And we can come back to it a few months later with a different perspective. And suddenly you might know exactly what you need to make it work. And I think it's that's kind of the way all five of us are with each other at least. Both McIntyre and McCombs agree that the first songs to be completed for The Catastrophist were likely the first two songs that actually appear on the record, the title track, and then Ox Duke. I mean, it was just a matter of like turning them from being, essentially they were like a framework to hang some guest musicians on, like to have some room for improvisation and for some room for some people to like take solos. And there was also a little bit of ensemble playing involved in those in those songs when we did them with the extra musicians but to make them tortoise songs we sort of had to elaborate on that um, add some chord changes and tweak some things make some write some more melody and harmony to there were some pretty serious uh, revisions you know yeah. like one one of the things went from 4-4 four, four to 5-4 and that was like huge um, yeah and just like arranging really like from going from just heads and solos to actual uh, thought-out arrangements was a really, really big step forward. And that's another reason why it it takes us so long, is that we're kind of reinventing every single, you know, thing that we record constantly. Just, you know, it's it's just a lot of editing, rewriting, going back, tearing things down, adding more, you know, two steps forward, three steps back. And we're, I mean, we're super conscious about the fact that we don't have that one element in pop music that immediately engages with the listener, and that's the vocals. Yeah, so we try to make our albums have like a like an ebb and flow to them, you know, in order to maintain some interest in the music. When friends of the band in Chicago, like Todd Rittman, a musician himself, heard that Tortoise might be employing vocals on the Catastrophists, there was some trepidation. Yeah, that's a good question. As a fan, I was a little nervous about it. They, they did a record with uh, Will Oldham that was all covers, and I think that's, that's just a, a great album. It's such a, it just worked out so well. It was, you know, 
really, I think, uh, a great success. And so, yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a good idea for them. It's not that tortoises have never worked with vocalists before, but it is somewhat rare, so much so that some fans were genuinely surprised by The Brave and the Bold, a 2005 collaboration with Bonnie Prince Billy, a.k.a. Will Oldham, featuring covers of songs written by the likes of Bruce Springsteen, The Minutemen, Elton John, Lungfish, Devo, and Richard Thompson, among others. As it happens, those sessions did inform The Catastrophist in some ways. It's kind of a strange coincidence that we have an album with two songs with vocals on them. Both of those songs happened for very different reasons. Going back to Bonnie Prince Billy, like when you're working with a vocalist, it became apparent to us that we're leaping through over giant hurdles by being an instrumental band because having a vocalist makes everything a lot easier. Oh my God, it makes everything so easy. You don't have to do anything. Well, also in the, <laughs> in the in the case of uh, that Bonnie Prince Billy record, those were all songs that were already written. Covers, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that sort of gives us a skewed vision of what it's like to work on songs like that because the songs were already written. All we had to do was come up with interesting ways to play them, ways that we thought were interesting to play them. And so I think that possibly had pointed us in a direction where we thought okay maybe this will be fun at some point to have some vocals on a tortoise record there's never been like a policy in the band that we're against having vocals it just seemed like the five of us has something that kind of works in a really unusual way and it's probably best to work with those tools but having vocals has has opened us up to a few things yeah I think we got to a point where we, you know, we came to some consensus about including the vocals. And we were like, okay, we want to do a cover of Rock On. We want to do a track with Georgia. And we want to do this Yonder Blue song with somebody. And our first choice was Robert Wyatt for that. He's retired. So he politely declined, which is fine. And then we said, okay, we still need to do something with Georgia. And then I think at that point, we were maybe thinking that we had not even written that song yet. But then it became apparent that we already had, and it was Yonder Blue. Because we had the song basically finished, but it was missing something. And uh, so that, w that was obvious that we should give it to her. Of the two songs was singing on The Catastrophist, Rock On is the most surprising addition. Baby queen, pretty. 
prettiest girl I ever seen. See her shake on the movie screen. Jimmy Dean. James Dean. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. In the case of Rock On, it kind of had started as just like being curious about how that song was a big hit song because it's so unusual so it was one day i heard that song on the radio driving to the studio and i mentioned it to john hey this is a really unusual song and john agreed and had said that he thought it's sort of is in the realm of like what tortoise does like just the it's a strange arrangement i don't know it's an unusual song so we thought it would be fun to record a version of it, not really even thinking that it was for the album, or it might have been for something else. Like, yeah, we didn't really have any expectations yeah. at the outset. We just thought, oh, this is a cool song, let's try to record a version of it. Once Tortoise decided to record a version of Rock On, they had to find someone to sing it. Todd Rittman had made records with John McIntyre before and is friendly with the Tortoise crew. got a mysterious email one day from uh, John um, McIntyre asking me if I'd like to sing on a tortoise track. I didn't have any other info about it and, uh, you know, yeah, of course. I said yes and then uh, I, I got more details and I was pleasantly surprised about the idea of doing that as a cover. That's one of those songs that I've always thought was kind of goofy, but if it came on the radio, I would have to turn it up. Yeah, the lyrics are weird. The whole thing is super weird. The lyrics aren't the best part of the song for me, honestly. When you hear that song, it's just, it's got this weird instrumentation and this super weird vibe, and it doesn't sound like anything else that's on your classic rock radio station. So it's, it's just always been such a standout track. It's really got its own thing going on as far as the original arrangement of the song. The fact that it's basically only vocals and a detuned bass guitar and a little bit of percussion for the whole track, except for the little, you know, the strings and stuff in the middle, but that's it, you know. There's no guitar. There's none of the, there's no chordal elements or anything like that. It's, yeah, it's in that heavy slapback echo on everything. It's super strange. And that's the thing about that song. Like, I heard that song, I've heard that song my entire life, but it only, it took 40 years for one day for it to strike me as this weird song. What? Um, before that, it would it had just been this ubiquitous like pop song on the radio that I liked. But then one day it went beyond that. It went to like some, it jumped some hurdle where then it suddenly became this thing that I was like, wow, I can't believe that's like a huge hit song. It's so strange. 
Well, I recorded with John McIntyre before, so I kind of knew the shot and then it was going to be relaxed and professional and easy. Uh, I was a little surprised that most of the tortoise guys were there, and I was even more surprised when I suggested them doing the backup hey part at the end of the song, and they were all game for it. So it was it was pretty fun and satisfying for me to watch those guys do it, because I don't think I'd ever seen any of them do any kind of vocalizing like that. Everyone ended up liking it enough to just put it on the record. I mean, I really thought it would be like, you know, it could be like a cool 7-inch to sell on tour or like, you know, a digital extra. But um, it ended up turning out better than we thought and and working with within the context of the album. I love it. I think it's great. It's uh, It's definitely their take on it and simultaneously fairly straight ahead like cover version of of the uh David Essex song. If you know what I mean. They're not, they're making it their own but they're not taking any serious liberties with the song. When Tortoise played their first release shows to celebrate the catastrophist back in January 2016, Ritman was on hand to sing Rock On. They kicked off their tour here in Chicago with two shows and uh I sang at those, and then I just happened to have a friend I was meaning to visit in Milwaukee, and they were playing there the next night, and uh, so I asked him if they'd put me and my buddy on the guest list, and Doug said, yeah, as long as you sing, and I was, you know, of course, flattered and overjoyed. I love those guys, and I, I love performing, so... When Ritman isn't available in a given city, McIntyre suggests Rock On will not be played live. The same can't be said for Yonder Blue, which began as an instrumental track that needed something. That's where Georgia Hubley of Viola Tango came into the picture. got an email from John McIntyre, uh, I can't remember when, probably in the spring, uh, asked, basically asking if I would be interested in coming up with something for vocals. And it was very loose in terms of, you know, whether whether it was, you know, words or just, I, I think they... I think they were open to anything I came up with, so I just took a shot at it, and um, I decided actually, at first I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll just do some kind of, you know, la-la type thing, and and then it, I, as the more I thought about it, I wanted to develop it more into a song with, with lyrics and a melody and everything like that. Uh, Georgia wrote the lyrics. Uh... We didn't even ask her to. <laughs> we just asked her to sing something, and she, she wrote the lyrics. Our only request from Georgia was like, basically, hey, we have this song. Do you feel like singing on it? We'll send it to you. And then, you know, a week later, that's what we got back. Um, she could have sung anything. She could have sung, you know, just vocal melody with no lyrics. I mean, she... She was free to do with, free to do what she wanted with it, and uh, I think she went above and beyond. Yep. Much like Ritman, Hubley was surprised and excited about the prospect of a proper tortoise record featuring singers. I was intrigued. I thought it was cool that they were, you know, changing it up and um, trying something a little different, and uh, I was really excited by the challenge. And believe me, it was kind of challenging. <laughs> At least the the piece that the song that I sing on, I kind of sat with it and listened to it over and over again, and really tried to figure out how a kind of a a simple melody could really sit sit inside the music and feel like it belonged there, not just that it was laid on top. But it was great, and and I, I think it's it's cool that they always want to do something a little bit different. They 
gave me free reign to do whatever I wanted, and because I asked, you know, do you want a song? Do you want words? Do you want, and it was totally open ended. So um, I just thought, ah, oh, I think it'd be cool to actually make it, you know, make it more than just another instrument and kind of create, you know, create a song and write words and. So that's what I did. <laughs> the color of the sun is nearly lost in the rising as the night comes in. sent the song, the music was all she had to go on. At the time, it didn't even have its eventual title, Yonder Blue. I think Yonder Blue was just a title that we had in a stockpile of titles that we were looking at. Yeah. And we try to fit them to songs that... I mean, this is very typical of us, is that we... The the very last thing that happens in our process is assigning titles to the songs, and it's usually the day that the artwork is due. (laughs) Uh... (laughs) So we'll maybe have like 15 or 20 titles, potential titles, uh, floating around. And then there's this furious uh, email exchange between all of us, uh, the two hours before the artwork is due to finalize all the titles. So yeah, exactly. That was, I think it was, we, in, the, in the batch of titles, there was Blue Yonder and somebody liked it. And then somebody said, let's flip it and make it Yonder Blue and let's give that to the Georgia track. According to McIntyre and McCombs, they and no one else in Tortoise has ever asked Hubley what the lyrical content of the song might be. I decided that this had to be remedied. Can you provide some insight about what the content of the song might be about? Well, I'm sorry to say, not really. (laughs) Um, I think Usually, what happened was I think I came up with um, sort of a melodic structure that I thought would fit in the in the song, you know, the various parts. And then I just I don't know, it just sort of came to me. I mean, I had a couple little um, tricks up my sleeve to pull from, but I'm not sure I'm going to divulge those. <laughs> If if anyone in Tortoise pressured you, would you tell them what the song is about? I suppose I would. Maybe I would. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not exactly about anything. It's more, it's more of a feeling. And then I kind of came up with some imagery to work off of, and uh, just went with it. It's it's fairly loose. It's not really about anything specific, but it's. But I think the mood and the melody fit the lyrics. You know, it's funny because uh, just this morning I read a review of that song that compared it to uh, Hello Stranger by Barbara Lewis. You know that track? Hello, stranger. It seems so good to see you back again. How long has it been? It seems like a mighty long time. 
It's funny because it's a really, I never made that connection, but it's, it's a good one. And I, I think there's a sort of, you know, melancholy aspect to that tune that we did that's uh, somewhat unusual for us, I guess. Uh, but in terms of uh, how it came together, it was just, you know, like a lot of things we do, it was uh, composed of fragments. Like there were like, you know, there was a chord sequence that uh, that Dan had and a little melody. And then there was another thing that Jeff had that was maybe in a different key or something or a different tempo. And we kind of somehow was able to uh, bring them together in an arrangement. And uh, that's that was the genesis of it, Those these two kind of ideas that came from different places. I, I really like it. I think it came out great. I mean, it certainly was for me. It pushed me to do something I don't normally do. I mean, I do in, in Yola Tango in a certain way, but it's, it was a little different because this was like a piece of music already done, already recorded, and the challenge was to to insert myself into the song that was already completed, more or less, whereas the way we work, we're evolving the song lyrically, well, sometimes lyrically comes later, but just putting the, the music and the singing together kind of at the same time, and so this was a little bit different. Um, but I think it's great for people to try different things, and um, I was, I'm, it, I'm, I, I think it's awesome that they sort of gave me free reign, and you know, I'm not sure what was going to happen if they didn't like it, but luckily we didn't have to find out. Last song Tortoise completed for the Catastrophist was Tesserect, which was partially recorded at a different studio while McIntyre was relocating his own Soma studios. Dan Bitney had to re-record the drums on the song, and, and then the album was done, and members were free to either ponder or not ponder what the album might say about the state of Tortoise. I don't have a very good idea of what's happening with any Tortoise record when it's finished takes me a couple years to let it sink in yeah i'm the same way it's like i've been inside of it for too long and i can't i really can't see it for what it is you know especially now that we're like trying to well not trying to we are playing these songs live so we're still inside it in that kind of weird way like learning how how we put it together and breaking it out to be able to play it live so yeah, it's really super hard to get perspective on it. Like many other artists who tour behind their new records, the members of Tortoise tend to learn more about their songs by playing them live a lot. I think about some of the songs that we've been playing from other albums that we didn't even really get dialed in until like a year of touring, you know? And it's kind of like, oh boy, wish we, we could uh, have had this insight into it back when it was recorded. Yeah. Our songs tend to um, continue to develop in small incremental ways over the years. And it's, you know, it's still representative of the song from the album. But, you know, some of our songs are much better than they were 20 years ago. And some of our songs fall by the wayside and we just stop playing them, too. So 
I don't know. There's a variety of things that happen, but it seems like we do get more insight into some of these songs, at least over the years, and they continue to develop in different ways. As mentioned earlier, Tortoise played some shows the weekend of January 22nd, 2016. That's right around when the Catastrophist was released. And these shows allowed them to test drive some of their new songs for the first time, really. And an unexpected highlight for McCombs was a, a new song called At Odds With Logic. I don't know. I just, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a really simple song. And I wasn't thinking it was going to be um, any kind of a challenge to play it or that it would even come across well with an audience because it's really understated and there's not a lot of dramatic things that happen in it and it just ended up when we played it this weekend it just uh it just sounded really great obvious one is rock on because we had todd singing with us and i was a little bit concerned about it because it is so skeletal you know and i think some of the guys i mean it's really just doug and me for most of it uh but it it i think it it turned out great, and Todd is amazing. Yeah. Um, another one that I really enjoyed, which is kind of a, it's a bit difficult for us, is Ox Duke. It's one of those tunes that sounds relatively simple, but there's actually a lot going on in terms of the structure that is deceptively difficult. <laughs> yeah. It's, so it's easy to screw it up. Yeah. So we're still uh, finding our legs with that one, but it's super fun to play. Given that its initial songs were written specifically for Chicago, I wonder if the Catastrophist reflects the city, which is often depicted as volatile and subject to random gun violence. Does the record make any attempt to capture what's happening in Chicago these days? That's a very difficult question. I feel like it happens on, um, mostly probably happens on a fairly subconscious level, just in terms of our daily lives sort of coming through whatever music we write and we don't really as a band we don't really discuss specifics very often about stuff like that so i think it's it would be different for any member of the band like that the level of environmental concerns that come through what we do but it definitely affects it in some way on a certain level i feel like uh, there's kind of a big disconnect between the lives of say us and other residents of the city who are dealing with tremendous hardships you know it's it's hard to get your head around the fact that your people that live not even two miles away from you who are struggling every day to survive and dealing with incredible amounts of violence and whatnot and uh where we are that's all kind of it's hidden it could almost be in another city but it's it's right in our backyard it's it's yeah it's really crazy but like Doug said, I don't know if there's any kind of direct way that that <clears throat> manifests itself in in our thinking or what we do, but it's, yeah, it's, it's in the subconscious for sure. it's uh, bleak. I don't think our record is bleak. I think we're all fairly positive people. So I, I feel like there's, even if there's a, a certain type of melancholy involved in any of our music, it's, it's not dire or bleak. It's more like wistful or nostalgic or something. I'm not sure. But uh, there's a certain amount of humor in what we do. There's a, like a little bit of pranks prankster there's a lot of different things going on in our music yeah i mean it's funny because like the neighborhoods that we've lived in pretty much the whole time that we've all been here have obviously been gentrified very significantly and so we were actually witnessing way more gun violence back in the 90s and now it seems to be completely absent from the areas that we live in. Yeah. But we know it's it's still a thing for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I can't even count the times that I've dodged bullets in Chicago. 
Um, but those those times are sort of way behind me, and I don't really I don't really see too much of that anymore. It's in it's moved to different neighborhoods. I said I can't count them times, but I can think of three just off the top of my head. Just you know, being uh, in or near the line of fire, not being shot at specifically. We were loading gear into our practice space once, and a bullet flew directly over our heads. Yeah, yeah. I mean, mostly what it does to you is it makes you think, okay, well, that one missed me. Uh, what do I have to do now? Oh, yeah, I got to go to the bank. Like, I mean, it's just, <laughs> I mean. I mean, yeah, you think about survival immediately, and then you kind of like, okay, yeah, get on with it. Yeah. McIntyre says he's actually even contemplated leaving Chicago. Oh, I think about it all the time. You know, I, I like living in Chicago, definitely. I also would consider living someplace else if that was uh, something that my wife wanted to do or that we came to an agreement that we wanted to do. But um, for now, I live in Chicago. Before the Catastrophist, the last album the Tortoise released was Beacons of Ancestorship in 2009. That's a seven-year gap between records. This isn't a young band anymore. This band has been around a long time. I can't help but wonder if time feels precious for tortoise. I mean, you'd think that it would, right? At this point? Yeah. But somehow, no. Yeah. <laughs> it would be great to start thinking about another record right away, which we always say that we're going to do, and we're just going to like keep plugging away at this and make it happen before another five years goes by. But uh, I guess we'll just have to see. I think it would be great for all of us financially and and creatively if we could push out more albums more frequently but at the same time maybe this is just the way our band has to work to be able to put out music that we're confident is good i've got mixed feelings about these long gaps but i have to say that you know since it's been a while since we've been on tour everybody is super excited about it all five of us and it seems like the fans are also really excited that we're going to be touring again so that's that's a big plus yeah For more information about the band Tortoise, visit trts.com. For more information about all of their records, including their latest album, The Catastrophist, visit thrilljockey.com. Thanks to everyone who participated in this documentary, giving me their time for conversations. It means a lot. If you want to listen to, subscribe to, download, or stream this show, Creative Control with Vishkana, you can do so on iTunes. Audioboom.com, Vishkana.com, and a version of this show airs every Wednesday at noon Eastern Standard Time on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph, and you can listen to it worldwide at CFRU.ca. There's a Patreon page to make a flexible monthly donation to the podcast version of this show, and we urge you to think about doing that. That would be nice. There's a Facebook page, Creative Control with Vishkana is on Facebook, and Twitter, at Vishcreative with a K. And you can follow me at Vishkana. There's also a K in there. Lots of stuff coming up in the next little while. Lots of live dates. If you want to see a live taping of the Creative Control podcast, you can. Mostly in Toronto. In the next little while, on March 18th at the Great Hall as part of Long Winter. And then on uh, April 9th, uh, Massey Hall is presenting a live taping at the Drake of Creative Control. And then the Long Night with Vishkana talk show is doing a live taping at the uh, second of two nights of Long Winter, this one on March 19th at the Great Hall. And then Long Night with Vishkan is doing a live taping at Spur Festival in Toronto on April 8th. And then sometime between May 4th and May 8th, Long Night with Vishkan will be taping at the Lanya Vanya Festival in St. John's, Newfoundland. So traveling around a little bit, I hope to see you somewhere there, if possible. Okay, that's it for me. Thanks for listening. More shows to come over the next while, forever, for the rest of our lives, there will be shows. So stick around. Pay attention. Thank you very much. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.